Hey there, roomies. Or should I call you um, ruminators? Um, room katiers, perhaps. Anyway, I just thought I'd squeeze in a fair dinkum content warning this time around because we're finally at the uh, the part of the series that I've been alluding to all along and that's the time when I was going to tell you about the time that I had a you-know-what right in the middle of you-know-what. Yeah, right. So it does get a little bit graphic. Um, and I do give you a heads up just before I start talking about it. So I don't know what your tolerances are for this kind of stuff. I'm just doing you a solid. Okay, folks, here we go. Content warning. I'm feeling good about myself today. How about you? What am I not What seeing? What am I not what saying doing? What am I not doing? Feeling? What am I not feeling? What am I not resisting? What am I not accepting? What am I not comprehending? Why am I not seeing? Why am I not seeing? Why am I not appreciating? Why am I not appreciating? Why can't I stand up for myself? This is not the future. I signed up. This is not the future I signed up for. Signed up for. Welcome back to the Eloquent in the Room podcast, season one, 2020, an orgasmic oddity. I'm Rose Cooper, and this is episode four, season finale. I'm calling this one Eternal Sunshine of the V Spot Mind. I tossed around a few slightly more obscure, geeky sci-fi puns for this last episode. I know robot. Metrolopus. Children of women. Departure. Got to think about that one. O-I. But... Eternal Sunshine is perfect for many reasons. It's one of my all-time favourite films. Such a freakishly brilliant collaboration between my absolute hero screenwriter, Charlie Kaufman, and visionary former music video maestro, Michel Gondry. In 2017, it was rated number 12 on the Rolling Stone Top 40 Sci-Fi Films of the 21st Century. It definitely should have been nearer the top of the list. To attempt to describe the emotionally searing plot would do a disservice to the cerebral unwrapping of this celluloid gift. If you haven't seen it yet, fucking do yourself a favour. But it's not a spoiler to say it deals with the concept of memory erasing and that certainly sits well with what this entire series has set out to achieve. My goal was to unbrainwash everyone, then hang our more open minds on the hill's hoist to catch a few rays of enlightenment. Yeah, I just said that. (laughs) Fucking hippies. So, where were we? I've highlighted myth conceptions, acculturation, repression and authenticity, 
all while luring us back from the patriarchal ledge to bask in Bonobo's revolutionary evolution. Oh my God, who else has put sea Bonobos up close on their bucket list? The time has finally come to impart inside information about our orgasmic wiring that doesn't get much press, film, TV, sex ed or porn coverage. It's going to get a wee bit graphic, like Alien, because I talk about childbirth. I did warn you. I know, right? Who knew that a conversation about raw human primal sexuality would lead us to all that icky chick stuff? Gird your loins, folks. You may thank me yet. As I said before, I'm no fucking expert, but it's my assertion that even though we all come from different backgrounds, have different baggage, not to mention varying penis lengths, labial variations, and we're all individually perched somewhere along the sexuality and gender spectrums, I want, nay, I feel compelled, to point out some things most of us have in common. So without further ado, let's start this part of our fantastic voyage with a riddle. What do roller coasters and my boobs have in common? Yes, both are curvaceous, undulating, positively breathtaking. If you're laughing because I'm 58, I will hunt you down. And the excitement they generate from the inside as well as the outside triggers the production of... Oxytocin. Oxytocin. Oxytocin is most often referred to as the bonding hormone. It's produced during labour and breastfeeding when it specifically works its magic while mother and suckling infant make eye contact at the perfect distance for those brand new eyes to focus and mother and child fall in love. Oxytocin also triggers the flood of warm feelings a woman needs to become sexually aroused. Oxytocin is the love hormone. Close physical proximity, eye contact, deep conversation, hand-holding, massage, any kind of sensual and or erotic touch and obviously kissing all produce oxytocin. Oxytocin makes women wet. It's also the hormone that chills us all the fuck out. Remember those laid-back bonobos? Oxytocin is also the trust hormone. It's so powerfully effective, it can blind us to red flags and completely deafen us to alarm bells. Adolescents should most definitely be taught about oxytocin before it's too late and they too have their hearts repeatedly steamrolled for the rest of their lives. Sorry. Incidentally, new fathers who aren't as hands-on might not produce as much oxytocin in as many ways as new mothers, but studies reveal that men's brain chemistry adjusts specifically in line with their role in a baby's life. If they take the primary caregiver duties, their paternal instincts strengthen to be as strong as any mother's. I felt this point should be raised. 
regardless of whether a child is in the care of same-sex parents or a single parent of either sex or adoptive parents. Mother Nature really just wants to keep our little angels safe. Being held and giving loving eye contact is the oxytocin doorway to primary caregiver slash child bonding. Once that portal has been opened, there is no shutting it. It is the light side of the force. Babies aside, men also experience a special boost of oxytocin at orgasm if they are already quite infatuated. The bigger the feelings, the greater the release of oxytocin, the more intense the orgasm. How many women out there can testify to the fact that Men will sometimes say the darndest things at that crucial moment. Then they struggle to articulate their feelings at any other time. Fucking hell, dude, not get me started on that. Fucking oxytocin. Oxytocin is the emotional vulnerability hormone. It's also produced when we laugh, which is why laughter is the ultimate social lubricant and why funny guys usually get laid. It's also no coincidence that we burst into laughter immediately after being frightened, hence the roller coaster part of the riddle. By the way, if anyone need wonder why makeup sex is so good, wonder no more. It's those crazy anxiety rescue response hormones having an orgy in your head. Orgasm also triggers a surge of endorphins, including dopamine, serotonin, et al. Yeah, that's right. I know Latin. And Kung Fu. All the happy hormones that fill us with a sense of equilibrium, goodwill, profound relief, and unbridled hope. Natural antidepressants. During sex, the endocrine system is going off. PET scans reveal that during climax, our brains light up like a fucking Christmas tree in several regions that govern our senses, our memories, our respiratory system. Rather unsurprisingly, it also shuts down in other areas. These deactivations facilitate the lack of inhibition necessary to erase all rational thought and let arousal take over. The feeling of blissful, conscienceless surrender in that moment has been compared to the feeling of taking heroin. We'll be talking about sex addiction another time. The thing is, orgasms can potentially be our body's reflexive reaction to all sorts of stimuli, good and bad, just like laughing or vomiting. It's a brain chemistry-induced self-defense or reproductory reflex. Think lizard brain, the four Fs, fight flight, freeze, and fuck. Given what we now know about female orgasm and survival of the fittest, it makes perfect sense when you think about it. But there's a reason why some women don't recognize the orgasm tram has arrived until they hear that bell ring. As alluded to earlier, the first time my first serious boyfriend facilitated my first waking orgasm, It actually freaked me out. I screamed when it peaked from pleasure and fear. 
It was too disorienting to be described accurately as the peak of pleasure or excitation. I was actually fighting the urge to jump off that cliff, but when I finally did, I understood why the French call it le petit mot. My body as I knew it up till that point suddenly ceased to exist. I was stardust. It was a new dawn. (laughs) Afterwards, I realized what happened. Sometimes I look back at that first defining moment and the feeling of trepidation that came with it. Such a multidimensional experience. And retelling it, I realize now it also felt courageous. There's a reason I don't do drugs. Whatever the stimuli orgasm, or more accurately, sexual climax, is the point of no return, that moment when all that's left to be done is to release it from its cage. I've gone to all this trouble to remove all preconceptions and obstacles any women might be feeling about that letting go, before suggesting ways to help you tap into your orgasmic energy from within, well before you fixate upon whatever body parts work to push you over the edge. There's a stairway leading to that door that must be climbed. Then new doors can magically swing open. Cut to the birth of my second son. Boner killer! My second birth was chemically induced with synthetic oxytocin. After the needle went in, regular contractions started almost immediately. Because I'd had experience with labour pains, I kind of knew what to expect, but because my first labour took 24 hours and resulted in a forceps delivery, I had no preconceptions about how this would pan out time-wise. I just knew I was better prepared for Armageddon than the last time. Remembering that being tense makes the pain worse, I immediately assumed ragdoll mode. Closed my eyes, relaxed, breathed deeply, and moaned softly with each outbreath. I knew this was supposed to work the first time, too, but I had no idea what the pain would be like, and baby number one wasn't in the best position for a quick and easy birth. Unlike this little rascal, in an hour the contractions were already five minutes apart and very painful. I got the message this was not going to take anywhere near as long. I told the nurse I should urinate because I knew from the first time that a full bladder would be bad news. So the nurse popped a bedpan onto the chair next to the bed and I straddled it, leaned forward, propped my elbows on the backrest and willed myself to relax in order to pee between contractions, which was no mean feat. I took deeper breaths and let out louder moans to distract me from the pain. I peed successfully, but the breathing and moaning really helped me cope with the pain, so I kept it up, breathing deeper, moaning more forcefully. And then it happened. Um, (laughs) A contraction hit. I moaned loudly. The moan became more of a grunt, and I could actually feel my cervix dilate, which was weird but amazing. My body succumbed to that opening up in a way I recognized as undeniably orgasmic. It still hurt, but because orgasm actually dulls pain, 
it felt excruciating and euphoric simultaneously. I don't know what to tell you except it was a fucking orgasm. Alas, it was just that one. The labour lasted four hours. My third birth experience was a drawn-out stop-start affair lasting 37 hours. I'm not here to tell you natural childbirth is easy or orgasmic. Uh, all the time. Um, I had the right frame of mind going into it each time and all were different. It's a lottery. So what happened that second time? With what I now know about oxytocin, I realise it was the perfect storm. Labour triggers it naturally and I was being fed the synthetic stuff on top of that and my connection to my breath and my voice was also producing oxytocin. I was doing so many oxytocin shots that morning, my orgasm was inevitable, especially seeing as it's not in my nature to be quiet during childbirth. You scream, I scream, we all scream, that baby scream! Consequently, from that day forward, I realised I'd uncovered a new spot or two. My breath and my voice became a direct pathway to this space deep in my core. This is how I learned to breathe my way to orgasm without being touched at all, just using breathing, moaning and focusing on the energy and squeezing my vaginal muscles. It takes effort to make one of these happen from scratch, but once engaged, the energy can travel upwards to burst forth from my abdomen at orgasm or through my chest or along the complete length and breadth of me and out through the top of my head or out through my vagina. I like to visualise rays of light and fireworks when that's happening. I've read articles that claim that this kind of orgasm is not considered to be the same as vaginal or clitoral orgasms. Sexuality researchers seem to need to name orgasms by their trigger. So they reckon people who come via intercourse with simultaneous clitoral stimulation are experiencing a blended orgasm. This doesn't make sense to me because I would argue that if that's the case, then kissing during intercourse or having your boobs sucked during mutual masturbation should also be considered a blended orgasm. Regardless, engaging with my voice gives me a direct line to that internal orgasmic tripwire, triggering the orgasm and magnifying it, making it last longer. The orgasm is a wave and I surf it with my vocalisation. If any researchers are listening, I'm here to tell you that my hands-free orgasms are still followed by the usual telltale vaginal contractions. I'm not making this up. I read one article that said thinking orgasms did not trigger contractions. We've become so clit blind and intercourse focused, we cannot see what's under our noses or more accurately inside our heads. Full body orgasms can feel like your pelvis is yawning and it reaches every nook and cranny of your body. I bet by saying the word yawn, you're now feeling the tickle at the back of your throat wanting to yawn. Funny that. I realised after a while that what I had learned to do was akin to tantric sex, but I hesitate to label the process or call those various points of exit from my body chakras 
that's basically their location. I'm just not here to push any particular doctrine or claim to have any depth of knowledge of such things. I'm just testifying on my own behalf. Having said that, the word tantra is translated in two parts. Tan means expansion and tra means liberation. And I cannot argue with the gurus on that one. You too can have a body like mine, and it seems some of you already do. I asked my survey recipients, how do you feel about making noise? 4.5% said they need to be silent and still to concentrate. 14.5% said they were noisy during orgasm, but not much during foreplay. 30% said they made noise in lieu of words by way of encouragement. 8% said they loved being noisy throughout and go off at orgasm because guys really dig it. And a healthy 18% said they made a lot of noise because they discovered the power of vocalization and how they can facilitate a more thorough orgasmic experience. And 24% said um, people have remarked on the noise they made but they weren't aware of it, too lost in the moment. You know what this means, don't you? 94.5% of women make noise, well, the people in my survey. I was so thrilled to know that one cliche about women and sex, hello Meg Ryan, um, was actually correct. So I started digging further. This is actually how I stumbled on the bonobo info, by the way. Pretty much all primates and monkeys have distinctive female copulatory vocalizations during their fertile periods, primarily to incite male competition. Hot stuff coming through, come and get it. Vocalization is also mentioned in the Kama Sutra. And studies of humans seem to come to similar conclusions regarding the ubiquity of females' sex noises. The interesting thing is, studies revealed that while most women climax more readily via clitoral stimulation, most women make more noise during intercourse, regardless of whether they do or don't orgasm at the time. Hmm, the plot thickens. The statistics indicated several reasons for this. Number one, it feels good. Yes, it does. Number two, it triggers male orgasm. Therefore, women actively being the bringer of the orgasm and that feels good. Yes, it does. Number three, it triggers male orgasm. Therefore, women do it to make him hurry the fuck up because they are bored or because they're done with their orgasm or because they're in pain and please fucking stop already. Studies tended to label these events as faking orgasm. But I found one study that divided the interviewees into several groups. Women that like to make noise during sex, regardless of whether it's accompanied by an orgasm or not, and quiet ones, and then sorted it further by who claimed to orgasm every time. No surprise that the noisy chicks were the most orgasmic. It's just that for some reason women choose to use their vocalization more often as a cheerleading device, an ego stroke, 
And the raising the skirt info I dropped on you last time suggests that there's an evolutionary reason why women are so attuned to a man's orgasm and why we really enjoy connecting to their pleasure in that way. Because it is the ultimate communication of connection. I'm not a fan of women literally faking orgasm, though. I don't think it's doing men or their subsequent lovers any favors. Nobody's learning anything from that. But if people make it clear to their partner when they do or don't come, regardless of how much noise they're making, then I can find a way to sleep at night. Because noise is fun and I am the last person to tell you to quieten down. Think about it. How good does it feel to suddenly be made to laugh loudly? And how cathartic is it to have a big ugly cry? How wonderful is it to sing? I googled everything to dig further, to back up everything I personally knew to be true, and then I finally fucking found it. The vagus nervous system, or as I've come to know it, the V-spot. Yeah, kind of catchy. Someone's probably already coined it. Um, The vagus nerve is one of the major nerve pathways connecting the brain to the face, the throat, the heart, the chest, down the abdomen, and into the cervical region. It controls several muscle groups, including those related to speech and orgasm. It's like my vocal cords are the tin can at one end of the string and my cervical region is the tin can at the other end of the string. That's what my experience has always felt like. The vagus nervous system combines so beautifully well with oxytocin via frontal torso caresses, kissing, breast stimulation. Oh my God, someone grab me the fucking smelling salts. I may swoon. You've got to admit it adds up. Here's a super duper fun fact. Beverly Whipple and Barry Komasarek, sorry, mispronunciations, um, investigated deep vaginal orgasms in women who have spinal cord injuries. This spinal cord compromise causes them to lack feeling in their lower extremities, thus not allowing them the capacity to feel orgasms by other nerve pathways. The vagus nerve doesn't travel through the spinal cord, so the lack of lower body sensation is overridden and climax can still occur. Not so fun fact, in 2004 I had a hysterectomy when my female gyno asked me if I wanted to keep my cervix, I asked her to confirm its function during orgasm. She replied, the jury is out about that. I wanted to grab her by the lapels and scream in her face, you're a fucking gynecologist, why the fuck don't you know? It's like a baker not knowing the properties of yeast. I opted to keep my cervix. I call it squishy. Well... I guess I do as of now. The funny thing is, when I'm having those moaning vagus nerve orgasms, feeling the energy in that space inside me, I swear, I still feel my uterus like a phantom limb. That, ladies and jelly beans, is the V-spot. This series has been brought to you by the letter V. It stands for vagus, vulva, vagina, voice and 
vindication. I knew it. I just knew it. We are meant to make noise and lots of it. It's a thing. Not a faking it thing. It's just its own thing with magical and most importantly, liberating powers all its own. More fun facts. It's possible for post-operative trans women to have orgasms. The way I've heard people describe them, I think we might have to give that to the V-spot. It's just a guess. Orgasm is an innate reflex. Clitorises are a powerful conduit to that orgasm, but all human bodies, especially female, are a vast playground of erotic possibilities. Don't limit yourself. Okay, I guess this is the uh, Hollywood movie ending bit. Somehow, long ago, women came to be considered a man's property. Our rights were denied. Our sexuality extinguished. Egalitarianism went out the fucking window. Men became infantilized. We allowed ourselves to think they were unable to control their impulses, unable to delay gratification. What a convenient conclusion to come to when you're the dominant voice in society until now. Even in 2020, thanks mainly to porn and the media, some women still allow themselves only to have the kind of sex that other people want or expect and don't ask for anything different. They become detached and become life support systems for their bodies and their vaginas for a number of reasons. Self-esteem podcasts are pending. We really should know better by now. Parents should be teaching their kids better. Stop wincing when you talk about sex to your daughters. Knowledge is power. Empowerment is the key. Autonomy. Self-respect. I want to take the pressure off men as the orgasm bringers. Because without communication, they're set up to fail at giving you an orgasm. You don't get given one you share one I'm not a fan of the phrase bad in bed either ladies it's your car you're not only allowed to drive it if he's driving show him the fucking map everyone else please mind your hearts our hormones and complex neural networks cause us puny humans to be inexorably drawn towards each other for skin contact, for sensual touch, for the soothing sound of each other's voice, to communicate our primal connection. That is the way we are built. This means even casual sex deserves having a bit more thought going into it because we're all a lot more vulnerable than any of us will care to admit. We spend our lives constantly yearning for the loving connection and protection that was freely and abundantly given to us as newborn babies. Think about it. Even without the power of speech, we learn to communicate love and connection by smiling within six weeks of being born. I lost the source for this quote, but suffice to say, it's not mine, but I wish it was. You may not care about making babies, but your brain is inherited from creatures who did. I'm not saying everyone has to be all hearts and bananas about sex all the time, 
but our hormones make us repeat patterns. Women are not an echo of men. Sexual enjoyment and falling in love is an echo of baby bonding and nursing. Boobs do rule, but it's less about visual appeal and more about oral fixation and nipple sensation, and all I can say is yay to all of that. And hey, if you also find it empowering and liberating dressing up or being tied up, that can be an awesome way of expressing yourself with like-minded people, so long as no one is being taken advantage of. I get the feeling that some young women can be influenced to take on the postures associated with so-called kink without ever having felt connection and organic sexual bliss before going in that peripheral direction via fashion or whatever. Speaking of kink, though, another thing research recently confirmed, which I already knew, is that a woman's imagination is vivid. If we daydream about being touched, then our bodies react as if it's actually happening. If we anticipate being touched, our body reacts. Case in point, it's not a sci-fi film, but Jane Campion's film, The Piano, had this scene where Harvey Keitel is laying under the piano while Holly Hunter is playing the piano and he gently strokes her ankle through a hole in her stocking. I, like women the world over, had a very strong reaction to that vicariously. Little wonder then why phone sex can be almost as good as the real thing sometimes with the power of suggestion and connection that women can make. What can I tell you? Connection is my kink. I'm out, I'm proud, and I'm very fucking loud. (laughs) Women, you are built the way you are built. Celebrate it. Make no apologies for it. Some people can use chopsticks, some can't. But our stomachs still know how to digest food. That was the worst analogy ever. Um, Men, don't worry too much about how long you can last. Turns out that bit isn't meant to take an hour. You're just delivering a package. But I jest. People, if you really want to have simultaneous orgasms, look up coital alignment technique. And everyone, exercise your pelvic floor. And now we're at the end. I got a lot off my chest, but I'm still pissed off. The future was supposed to be about people getting smarter, more open-minded, loving, compassionate. Make love, not war. There was this rumour going around that we barely use 10% of our brains, which is garbage, but developing the power of the brain was what futurists used to rave about. Becoming psychic was our destiny. In 2020, people are still slipping drugs into other people's drinks and raping them. Women are still being discriminated against, harassed, judged, underestimated, not just by men, but by other women. Anti-feminist support networks exist. This is not the future I expected. We can rebuild ourselves. We do have the brain power. Fuck technology. Oh, by the way, dog brains also produce oxytocin. They're not kidding. They really are always really fucking happy to see you. 
Oxytocin. Thank you for listening. Um. This has been a learning curve in more ways than one. And as of this bit, where I'm actually using my words right now and speaking, I'm actually re-recording my sign-off. As I mentioned in the first episode, I started recording in mid-April and I finished recording episode four, this one, on May 25, May sound familiar, the date, because it was the day the world stood still and cried and began to protest. So I deferred the launch of this thing while I took time out to recover, reflect, listen and learn. There was a lot of chaos in the world and I could feel the vibration of all of us and everything that everyone seemed to be feeling at all at once. It was quite profound. I'm sure a lot of you would agree with me. During that time, I also posted a lot of really good resources that I came across from wonderful activists that I came to follow, mostly on Instagram, but um, I reposted a lot of stuff on Facebook, on my Facebook page as well. Um, So if you're not already following me, maybe you can uh, have a look now at those pages and you might come across some things that will um, enlighten and inspire you in your journey through this time of growth and evolution and revolution that we're going through. Um, And in the interim, I also wrote a intimate behind-the-scenes blog post about how I came to drag myself kicking and screaming out of spiralling anxiety to launch the podcast in the first place. Um, it's entitled Room for Change and I posted it at theeloquentintheroom.com which I launched early July. So it's the podcast, it's the blog post at the bottom of the page. So next episode is due for release on August 18. I should have published another post at least on the website by then with some references from the series and, of course, some glorious vulva diagrams for you to gaze at in reverence and wonder. I know, right? I'm a giver. Uh, Next time, things won't be quite the same as they have during the series. I deliberately framed it as the odyssey, the journey, um, and made it crazy because why not? Um, I really didn't know what I was doing and something came out uh next episode i still won't know what i'm doing and it won't be quite the same i have no idea what shape it's going to take all i know is we're going to touch on some feedback and questions that i've received thank you very much for people who have written to me um and if you have any suggestions or questions there's still time to send me a message via the website or at the eloquent in the room at gmail.com What uncomfortable truths do you want to talk about? Next time, I also want to begin to touch on 
connected topics around our sexuality, um, like consent and self-esteem, two vital components that hold the key to female empowerment or everyone's empowerment, truth be told. Um, Speaking of which... On my website, I know I keep harping on about the eloquentintheroom.com, but it's there. Um, there's a link page which takes you to various links, <laughs> like my Instagram feed and all that sort of jazz. Um, but there's also a link page to some surveys. One is a self-esteem survey. It takes five minutes for you to fill out. I'd really, really appreciate it if you would do that. Um, and also a... A survey link that just has some generic questions uh, asking what kinds of things you'd like me to talk about on the podcast and a blank comments box for you to make suggestions so you can do that completely anonymously following that link trying to make it as easy as possible for people to um, say what's on their mind and not feel judged so Knock yourselves out. Send me a message. And as for the list I mentioned right at the very, very, very beginning, um, that's going to come into its own as time goes by. I'm going to be doing podcasts about casual sex, online dating, all that sort of stuff because, you know, it'd be a waste of all that experience not to compare notes on how things uh, transpired when I was an um, inexperienced teenager, when I was a a complete uh, egotistical 35-year-old at the peak of my so-called sexual prowess, whatever that means. And a few years ago when I I was still playing the field a lot, I've calmed down a lot since then. (laughs) It had to happen sooner or later. I had to sort of uh, become all spiritual and shit. I knew what would happen. Uh, and um, I'm really good with it, actually. It had to happen sooner or later. I remember one time there was a time in my life where I, I just couldn't foresee a time when I wouldn't care a lot about where my next sexual adventure was coming from or where my next love affair was coming from. Or I was pretty obsessed with that stuff um, for various reasons, which we'll get into as time goes by, but... But I'm so much more chill now and uh, probably the best possible frame of mind to be in (laughs) in order to have a chat to you guys without it being a big therapy session for me. I want it to be a therapy session for all of us. Um, Okay, what am I up to now? I'm, I'm going off script for the first time in the entire series and just wandering around having a bit of a chat. Thank you. (laughs) That's what I was going to say. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you've enjoyed this awkward, crazy ride, please share the podcast um, and hit like, leave comments, leave reviews, leave ratings, whatever platform you happen to be listening in, any kind of activity on those platforms that is um, people clicking and leaving comments and all that sort of stuff, that's what makes the podcast more uh, easy to find for people who are just scrolling and searching and things like that. It's the algorithm. We don't know what it means exactly. We just know that it's the devil that we have to worship when we're online people. So that was a bit of a boomer sign-off for you there, sounding like a real old (laughs) 
human being. Uh, life. It's bigger. It's bigger than you. And you are not me. Okay, so we're going to sign off. And I'm going to connect this bit to the sign-off bit that I did on May 25. I know, technology. It's crazy. With that, it's time to head back to the mothership. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Talk to you soon.
Viva, Viva the Vegas. Thank you. Thank you very much.